the genealogy, if you were with us over uh, past weeks, the genealogy that we explored uh, over the past three Sundays culminates with the mention of Jesus. Jesus, we said, is the termination point of the entire genealogy. And Jesus is also the beginning, of course, incarnate Jesus, the beginning of God's new creation. Now, as we reach uh, the final eight verses of Matthew chapter one, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. We have in these verses the the beginning of the actual birth narrative of Jesus. (coughs) Joseph, who has descended in the bloodline of King David, is betrothed to Mary. Now, in this ancient society, what would happen would be that a a couple would publicly declare their intent to marry one another, and then from that point forward, they could rightly be called husband and wife, even though the actual marriage had yet to happen. But after the declaration of their intent to marry, the bride-in-waiting would continue to live in her parents' home for about a year or so, until finally one day the groom and his friends would come to that home in ceremonial fashion. The bride would be taken out of her parents' home to the home of the groom's parents, where a wedding banquet would take place. After that banquet was over, of course, then the consummation of the marriage could happen sexually. Joseph and Mary were in the betrothal period. The consummation of their marriage had not yet happened. Matthew 1.18 reads, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary, who we should note was very young at this point, perhaps only 14 years of age, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, that is, before Joseph and Mary lived together, before they had sexually consummated their marriage, Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. At this point, Joseph was aware that somehow Mary was pregnant, but Joseph knew that he was not the father. Verse 19, and her husband, Joseph, notice that Joseph is called husband here, even though they are not yet officially fully married, but this is in keeping with the ancient tradition. Her husband Joseph being a just man. Notice that. Joseph was a person who desired to live by the law of God. And he was unwilling to put Mary to shame. Joseph easily could have and rightfully could have made a big scene here concerning the fact that his betrothed bride was pregnant without his help. Joseph may have considered Deuteronomy 22, where there is a command, actually, to stone to death a betrothed virgin who commits adultery along with her adulterous partner. 
Joseph easily could have gone public with this, could have easily created a, a big public trial. Joseph had no idea at this point, no idea whatsoever, that Mary's pregnancy was from the Spirit. But the text says that Joseph was, notice again, a just person, a just person, unwilling to put pregnant Mary to shame. Now, according to Psalm 112, verse 4, part of being just, part of being righteous, is being merciful. To be a just person is not simply to say, I have the law on my side, I am in the right, I will make sure that the wrongs I see are addressed. No. To be just, godly, just, is to consider mercy and exercise mercy. Joseph is just, so Joseph is merciful. Joseph is a godly man. As Knox Shamblin puts it in his commentary on this verse, he says, Joseph is righteous, listen to this, Joseph is righteous and therefore does not want to disgrace Mary. His righteousness seeks expression in an act of mercy. That's excellent. His righteousness seeks expression in an act of mercy. Joseph resolves that instead of making a big public case here, a big public show about this, that instead he's going to divorce Mary quietly without a lot of big public fanfare. Verse 20, I actually prefer here how the NRSV renders the initial part of the verse because I think they capture the Greek a little better here. Just when he had resolved to do this, is how the NRSV has it. Just when he had resolved to divorce Mary quietly, what happened? Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, where? In a dream, Joseph's fast asleep, saying, Joseph, 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 (laughs) son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from what? The Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Friends, it was God who was the sole actor in bringing this baby into Mary's womb. This pregnancy, this conception was purely totally the initiative of God. Mary was God's chosen carrier of a fully human, fleshly baby who at the same time was fully divine. In verse 21, the angel continues talking to the sleeping Joseph. The angel says, she will bear a son, and you, Joseph, you shall call his name, say the name with me, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
Now, for Joseph to bestow the name on the baby meant that Joseph accepted the baby as his own, which meant that the baby was then officially and legally a descendant of David, just as Joseph was. But notice here, friends, who chooses the name for the baby? God does. This name of the baby will be Jesus, and Jesus is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Joshua. <laughs> Joshua's sitting in the back. The name Jesus means what? It means, O save Yahweh. O save Yahweh. And this explains why the angel says this here. And you shall call his name Jesus, O save Yahweh. Why will you call him Jesus? Because he will save his people, not from the Romans, but from their sins. The name O save Yahweh, or Jesus, matches with the mission of the name bearer, which is to save his people from their sins. And the way that this child would accomplish that salvation from sins would be to do what? To grow up into a man and go to Calvary, where in the words of Matthew 26, 28, his blood of the covenant would be poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He would save his people from their sins. Oh, save Yahweh, Jesus Verse 22, the angel has stopped speaking now to the sleeping Joseph. Now Matthew himself writes, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And the prophet that Matthew is referencing here is, of course, Isaiah, who in Isaiah 7, verse 14 said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then Matthew gives us the meaning of the name Emmanuel. The meaning is God with us. And then in verses 24, we're going to come back to that. In verses 24 and 25, Matthew reports the immediate obedience. Notice, the, the immediate obedience of Joseph when he wakes up. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did. He's a doer of the word. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not. In other words, Joseph and Mary had no sexual relations until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. But now returning to verse 23, because of time this morning, we won't get into all the details concerning the original context, historical context of Isaiah 7, 14, uh, that Matthew is quoting in this verse. In fact, because of our purposely abbreviated uh, pulpit time this morning, I just want us to consider a single word in this verse, and that is the word Emmanuel, God with us. The fulfillment of Isaiah's Emmanuel prophecy is the incarnate Christ. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is 
God come to earth in human flesh? Why did God create humankind in the first place? To be with us. Why, after the fall of humankind into sin, did God call Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the forefathers of a nation, taking that nation then through a great many ups and downs until eventually Christ was born in Abraham's line? Why did God do all this? It was because of God's desire to be with us. God with us. Why did the Father initiate the plan of the cross where his son would willingly die as the substitutionary sacrifice. It was to bring us out of a fractured relationship with himself because of our sin, to bring us out of that, to forgive us so that we could be brought into that blessed state of God with us. Now, isn't this amazing, friends? We need to notice this. God decided to be with us. We didn't decide to have fellowship with God. God decided to have fellowship with us. God with us. As John Webster once put it, quote, fellowship with God comes to us as a divine decision. Fellowship with God comes to us as a divine decision. In this matter, we aren't consulted any more than God consults his creatures before he creates them. And, he says, nothing precedes God's choosing. No human goodness, no human aspiration, no desert or need or worthiness, nothing but the sheer freedom of God. And then Webster says this, this determination of God's is an act of love, <laughs> of limitless love in which God creates and sustains us so that we can know and enjoy him and find our well-being in life with him. Amen? God with us. Thank you, God. Jesus, friends, is God with us. God in the flesh, with us in saving power, with us in fellowship on this earth, sent by the Father. In the words of Graham Cole, he says this, to hear Jesus is to hear the word of God. To see Jesus is to see the character of God. To watch Jesus in action is to see God in action, God with us. And as R.T. France says, at the coming of the incarnate Christ, he says, God no longer simply told his people about himself or even showed them by his actions. He came himself and walked among us and men saw the invisible love that. Men saw the invisible, God in a human body, God with us. And it isn't, isn't it an interesting thing, friends, if we have the Gospel of Matthew in front of us, we can check this. 
uh, Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is bracketed with the reality of God with us. So here at the start of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is born, Emmanuel, God with us, and then that same Jesus says, at the end of Matthew's gospel, what does he say, Matthew 28, 20, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God with us. We need to understand that God's determination to be with his people didn't start with the incarnate Christ. To Isaac in Beersheba, God had said, Fear not, for I am with you. God with us. To Jacob, fleeing for his life from Esau, God had said, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. God with us. To Moses at the burning bush. Moses, who in that moment was fearing an appearance before Pharaoh. God had said, I will be with you. God with us. To Joshua, about to go to war. In the promised land, God said, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And then he also said this to Joshua, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God with us. To the exiles in Babylon, God said, fear not for I am with you. Even though you're over there in Babylon, I am with you, God with us. And to Jeremiah, facing opposition from his own people, God said, I am with you. And to Zerubbabel, faced with the daunting task of rebuilding a demolished temple with all sorts of opposition coming against him, God said, work, Zerubbabel, work, for I am with you, God with us. And to you, Child of God, as you walk into a cancer screening clinic, God says, fear not, I am with you. Or as you grieve your loss, especially during this Christmas season, God says, I am with you. Or as you walk through trials and walk through tribulations of all sorts, work issues, family issues, financial issues, school issues, mental health issues, you have a God who is most assuredly with you. Hebrews 13.5 is as true today as it ever has been. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is with you. And this is the case, Christian, whether you feel that it's true or not. God with us has come. Emmanuel has been born. He lived on earth. He died. He rose again. He reigns from on high, and he will come back. God with us. With us through the entire past history of our family of faith, with us now, and with us into the future. 
God with us. And in the words of Dennis Johnson, what does this with us look like? Dennis Johnson says, and I love this, his being with us is not merely a matter of his commiserating with us in helplessness, not merely a matter of that, holding our hand, not merely a matter of that, and wishing with us that things were different. It's not merely a matter of that. Johnson says, no, Jesus' presence is powerful. Do you know it? It's powerful, able to steal us to endure suffering with courage and hope, to face danger fearlessly, to respond to aggression with love. Close quote. God is with us, friends, in the risen Jesus, and he will be with us in 2022, no matter what we are walking through. Let's take this blessed assurance with us into the new year. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, the way this sin-sick world is reeling and rocking these days. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, without your presence, without Emmanuel, we would be utterly disoriented and hopeless. We've proven as human beings over and over and over again that we cannot ever bring the utopia that so many people desire. Lord, you will bring it, and it's called the new earth. Lord, we know that right now in this time when the old age is passing away, you are with us, with us through COVID, with us through loneliness, with us through illness, with us through family issues and heartaches of all kinds. You are with us, and we thank you, Lord, for being our God for being the living God who never leaves or forsakes us. I pray for everyone here in the sound of my voice, Lord, that you would bring this blessed assurance home this week in a fresh and unique way. In Jesus' name, amen.